message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Such a wonderful time already. Thanks to Tim for mentioning. I'm Rupert. I'm part of a team that helps lead the church. And if I've not met you before, I hope you feel really welcome amongst us. And you've enjoyed lifting your eyes and hearts to our wonderful God this morning. Just want to mention two things before we get into uh, our message today. Firstly, uh, Tim mentioned the carol concert. And for those of you who are on your emails or on social media, you will have seen that you can change your profile picture, your cover picture, to a temporary one which has the carol logo underneath and it's just a great way of opening up the conversation so I'd encourage you if you haven't done that already and if you are a user of social media really consider that and secondly there's an email invite which you can send out to groups of friends who you think might be interested you might want to preface it beforehand of course and as if on cue one little baby is delighted about the arrival of another it's so good to have Ben and Julia with us but now they are three So last Saturday, they welcomed Elijah John Robinson into their fold. Guys, it is so wonderful. We're really thrilled for you and hope it's a wonderful blessing as you go forward into parenthood. And you're both looking really sprightly and fresh-faced, so well done. It's fantastic. Okay. So you're telling me Ben wears makeup? No. <laughs> that nat- natural vigor. Okay. So folks, today we're going to be looking at chapter 12 of Acts. And before we delve into that passage, I just wanted to take a moment just to recap and see where we've been for a few of the chapters beforehand. We're almost halfway through the book of Acts. We're up to uh, chapter 12, and uh, there are 28 books. So by my basic mathematics, we're just about 50% of the way through. So if we have a look back at the recaps, we'll see in chapter 5 that many signs and wonders were done regularly by the hands of the apostles. But then on the other hand, the apostles were arrested, questioned, and ultimately freed. Then chapter 6, the deacons, uh, it says of the deacons, and were appointed, and that the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, arrested, and questioned. Chapter 7, Stephen gives this wonderful speech testifying to the chronology, the timeline of history that led up to Jesus. And then he is dragged outside and stoned to death. Chapter 8, Philip is proclaiming Christ and it records that many unclean uh, spirits came out of many of the people and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Hallelujah, that's wonderful. And then before Paul became Paul, when he was known as Saul, he stoked the fires of persecution which led to the scattering of the Jerusalem church. Chapter 9, Saul became Paul and preaches Jesus boldly. Peter heals a man paralyzed for eight years and raises Dorcas to life by the power of God. And the Jews are plotting to kill now Paul, newly converted Paul. So it's really clear to see that we've got this pattern that as the followers of Jesus were preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, they experienced significant trouble and opposition, even as they were going great for the Lord and for his kingdom advance, there were difficulties that came their way. And it seems like things start to go a bit quiet in terms of the opposition. Because in chapter 10, Peter has this vision and then experiences the reality that the non-Jews, who are known as the Gentiles, 
could receive the Holy Spirit and actually begin to communicate and, and express their praise and their heart's delight to God through the gift of tongues, as we heard sung earlier so wonderfully uh, by Naomi and interpreted. And uh, in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, sorry, it seems that, again, there isn't much coming the disciples' way. Uh, there's some internal criticism, actually. The other apostles, the other disciples haven't quite caught up with, they haven't had Peter's vision, and they're sort of criticizing him for preaching this to the, um, to the non-Jews, and he deals with that and, and sorts that out. Uh, and just explains, you know, well, if, if they've had the gift, who am I to stand in God's way? It's God's decision, not mine. So from our point of view as readers, there have been two chapters where we think, okay, all right, things are going well, and we've not had that opposition. Well, you might say it's the calm before the storm. Let's read on. Acts 12. Can we have the words if that's right? About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer was made for him by the was made for him to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the doors were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, "Get up quickly!" And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals, look around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. 
And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are able to instruct us through it. Holy Spirit, you've been amongst us already so tangibly and so wonderfully. Abide with us, we pray. Lead our hearts. Lift our gaze. Above all, your name be glorified this morning as we draw close to you in faith. Amen. So it starts off, and we have at about that time. And the, in fact, this took place just as Barnabas and Paul were preaching in Antioch and were seeing many who came to the Lord and many who were added to the Lord. And you know what, what uh, Paul's saying by that is he's saying many who came to follow Jesus, to know him as their Lord and Savior, and became a part of God's family, the church. And actually, it may have gone quiet from our point of view as readers, but that's only because Luke was wanting to finish off telling the story of what was happening in Antioch. So actually, just as Barnabas and Paul were having this incredible experience in Antioch, at the very same moment, there was backlash. This growth and prospering of the kingdom was opposed immediately. Herod. He doesn't come across well. He's introduced as a man who laid violent hands. That's not a trademark of the kingdom. And what we see is that this powerful man, a man, in, a man of, of godlessness who is in authority, even he can't reach everybody. You know, if we read it closely, he says that he laid violent hands on some of the church. And he's from bad stock. You know, he's the grandson of the Herod who reigned at the time of Jesus' birth. The Herod we're talking about now, in, in, this, in this moment in Acts 12, he was raised in Rome. So under a totally different government, under a totally different teammate of those who would go on to become future emperors. So the only, well, I say the only, the main reason why, he's been, why he was entrusted to essentially and eventually take over all of the reign of Judea, in fact, he went and uh, had almost the same, in fact, even larger and greater extent of rule than his grandfather, was because he was a playmate of these future emperors. So it was, it was this nepotism. It wasn't that he was a good ruler. It was this favoritism which got him this position of power. And what does he do? What do we have recorded in this account with that power? Well, let's, let's be fair to him. He may, have well done, done a, he may well have done other things. But he killed one of the first disciples of Jesus. This was James who was with his brother John on the shores. And, and Jesus said, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. This was James who was one of the three who was chosen by Jesus to witness the transfiguration when he, Jesus became radiant and he met with Moses and Elijah. And there's so much wonderful uh, happenings and goings on in this chapter, but we can't ignore the fact that being a Christian doesn't guarantee us exemption from hardship or from difficulty. In fact, it might mean that we are put in the firing line, so to speak. And I just think this moment is just something we've just got to hold on to. When times are tough, we've just got to hold on to this, that actually it, it can happen. And so we've got, to be, 
We've got to be rock solid. We've got to be so sure of the eternal hope to which we're called when we're facing this adversity. You know what else? It's a stark reminder that we've got to pray for people in authority. You know, we're reminded in, in Timothy... First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings uh, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Do you want to raise your hands if you don't want to lead a peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified in every way kind of life? If you don't want that. I know that's what I want. That's what, that's what I prefer. So we've got a clear indication, haven't we? Here is a man in Herod of godless authority. We've got a, and we've seen what, what that authority, how that can, authority can be exercised. You know, I'm genuinely not taking political sides here. I, I promise you that. But Brexit is looming, isn't it? You, you can't turn on the radio, I find, without it being mentioned. So we've got to pray for those people who are elected representatives on our behalf to make those decisions, those members of parliament. We've got to pray for them that we might lead a quiet, dignified and orderly life. You know, this, this message isn't about Herod. But we've got to pray that the decisions that the people who are making the decisions that, that the people who are entrusted to make those decisions that they are making. We've got to pray that they are making them for the right reasons. Because we see here, Herod, he did it when he saw that it pleased the Jews. I'm not saying this was the only characteristic of him, but he was a people pleaser. There was some part of that where he did things to please people. You know, when he put him in prison, intending to bring him out to the people, unwittingly or not, Herod brought out Jesus to the people, to the mob verdict, and said, who do you want to free? This notorious prisoner, Barabbas, or Jesus? And they chose Barabbas. The people's verdict is not always the best one. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not referencing now back to Brexit, just in case you might be thinking that. I know they've followed sequentially quite nearby. But to the point that he said, the first Herod said, you know, but he's not an evil man. He's not done anything wrong. Trying, too late, you've handed him over to the mob, trying to sort of defend him a bit, and they, they chose Barabbas. So this is the point. Our Herod now, in Acts 12, knew that in all likelihood, the people would probably vote similarly. And in fact, we'll see at the end, he was pretty sure of that. So the outcome is, is looking dire. The situation is looking dire for Peter. You know, I know I mentioned that in Acts 5 that he'd been arrested before. Sorry, that the other apostles had been arrested before and that they'd been questioned free. But at that point, before the high council, they had chance to defend themselves. It's unlikely that Peter would have had the opportunity. It probably would have been, what say you? Dum, dum. So this was a grim situation. This was dire. Make no mistake. But, thankfully... It happened during the days of the unleavened bread. First time I read this, I thought, okay, the days of the unleavened bread. And I thought, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. Why is that significant? Well, many of you will know, I'm sure. It's the seven days uh, of celebration that followed the Passover meal. 
and it was considered sacred. So you wouldn't desecrate it, you wouldn't spoil it or tarnish it by having an execution during that time. So what this did is this actually bought the church some time. And their initial response is just marvellous. It's just wonderful. Because they've got to have been rocked, right? Two of their main guys have been taken out of action. One of them permanently, James, and the other, it's, it's looking bad. It's looking really bad, isn't it? So the church has got to be rocked. They must have been thinking, you know, what is going on? I've got to ask, how would we respond? You know, if, if we were in their shoes, would we march on the council offices? Maybe we'd uh, try and sort it out ourselves. Maybe we'd create an online petition. I'm not saying that any of those things in and of themselves are wrong, not at all. But there is a higher court, isn't there? There's the judge of all who made us, invites us, and encourages us to come before him. And this is what the church do. Earnest prayer was made for him. The thought popped into my mind, oh, maybe this part of the message would be the importance of being earnest. And I thought, no, 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 we'll lose people to referencing the book. And it's, it's, a, very different, it's a very different point, actually, because being earnest means to be intense. I'm aware that I'm coming across intensely now, quite impassioned. I've, I've so loved just reading this, and uh, Tim talks about marinating, but I've, I've just, just loved reading this. I feel that God has so much for us in, in, these, in, this, in this passage. Intensely, strenuously. That's the sort of prayer that the church were giving him. It wasn't a, oh, yeah, Lord, please, um, yeah, Peter's in a bad way. Please would you rescue him? Amen, thank you. They were intense. They were like, Lord, free. I, I can't even imagine the of heart with which they communicated to God. They were earnest in it. And as we're going to see, there's some fantastic fruit that came from that. Absolutely fantastic. Can we have the next, next slide, please, Nick? Thank you. Peter was... Sleeping. I love this. Peter was sleeping. The very night that Herod was probably going to take him out and put him for the people, resulting in his eventual death, Peter was sitting there fretting. No. Peter was sitting there interceding, playing, Lord, break me out of here. No. Peter was sleeping. I'm like, wow. And I don't know if that is because that's an example of the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which will guard your heart and mind as you trust in Christ Jesus, as you bring those petitions to him, as it says in Philippians. I don't know if it was that. Or I don't know if it was sheer exhaustion. I know that, I don't know how happy I'd be about sleeping between two soldiers who I didn't know, being honest. We, we don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But given that adrenaline and fighting back worry would probably have kept me awake, I'm choosing to think that it was the for former, that he was so trusting in his God that he was able to sleep peacefully. You know, I, it was just wonderful today that the contributions, I think Tim made reference to them, that people brought. If you are waiting, you're waiting to hear those church bells again, as Shireen mentioned. You've got to wait with hope, as Izzy did, 
uh, as Izzy said. You've got to wait with hope. Because although we may not see it, although we may not hear how that prayer is going to be answered, he hears your cries. He hears our cries. And I think I choose to believe that Peter is demonstrating some of this trust that he is hopeful, that he has seen his God act, he has seen the power of Jesus coming before, and he doesn't know what it's going to look like, but he knows that he will move again. And if he doesn't, he's, I would suggest that he's clearly at peace with that. If that's the end of his days, he knows that he will be reunited with his saviour, that he'll be welcomed in by his father who has a place for him as we've sung this morning. So, of mind, behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. I think there's some grace on Peter here. I think there's some grace on Peter here because elsewhere when people see an angel, they're dumbfound, they're amazed, they're terrified. But there's just, there's just grace covering the situation, isn't there? Even in the bleakest of times, the angel says, you know, smacks him on the side, get up. And Peter, he's like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, he gets up. And he's told to get up quickly, so he does. And, and I just want to suggest if you are in that place where you're waiting for a breakthrough, just respond like Peter. And we, it says, you know, later on, when he came to himself, he thought it was a vision. So he's kind of in a stupor. He's kind of, you know, sort of groggy, half asleep, half awake, commentators suggest. But what I think is indicative of this is, is how Peter's heart has been prepared beforehand. Because if you're jolted awake in the middle of the night, I don't know about you, but my reaction might be, just, you know, leave out. What are you doing? This is my sleep. But Peter's like, told, get up quickly. So what does he do? He gets up. This part actually legitimately might, might describe the importance of being obedient. When God does come to you, when he does speak to you, when you know that it is him, don't second guess him. Don't think, oh, yeah, but, uh, but hang on, but, if you're telling, but what would happen? Peter could have said, ah, oh, yeah, but um, <clears throat> okay, I'd like to get up, but can't you see these chains? Uh, no, not getting anywhere. But he gets up and the chains fall off. And then he's told to wrap his cloak around him. And, and as he follows, he could have been saying, oh, but um, yeah, angel of the Lord, um, there's guards on all the doors and the gate's locked. But he doesn't. And look how in his instinctive, immediate obedience, look what is opened up before him. The iron gate opened of its own accord. I read that through and I, I missed it first time. The iron gate. This is before the days of automation. I know that's an obvious thing to say. And I know we're used to driving past and seeing driveways just open and cars, you know, glide in. But I, I just thought it's before the days of automation. And it's, it's spelled, I think it's really indicative as well that it points out that it's an iron gate. This isn't wicker or wood and, you know, could say, oh, well, okay, maybe just sort of Peter stumbled into it. An iron gate, the prison gate, opened of its own accord. There is no obstacle of man that God cannot overcome. That in your life, in my life, there is no obstacle 
of man that God cannot overcome. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I, I don't know the situation. You don't know the situation I'm facing, Rupert. You don't know what it is that I am. And, and you're saying this in its platitudes. Peter was about to be put to death. And he saw the power of God move. And the barriers of man could not hold him back. The chains, the guards... The godless authority decision, prison gate, nothing could prevent God's freedom coming. And I want to suggest if you're not in that place yet, or if there is that boulder or that gate that is holding you back, don't forget about the other time an impossible barrier put before man was moved. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. He's done it before. Don't forget the times in your life when you faced that obstacle and he's rolled it out the way. Remember God's faithfulness to you. And if you haven't experienced a breakthrough of that order yet, you can trust him that when you face that, it will come. This is, this is a light thing for the Lord. The angel rolled it away and sat on it. You can just imagine. Piece of cake. But what we need to do, and it might be gathering more people together, praying earnestly. Maybe you need to gather some people together. Tim mentioned the prayer meeting. Maybe meet with other believers and share. Or get people together and pray together earnestly, intensely, strenuously until you've seen your breakthrough. I just want to mention, it was, it's quite obvious, I think, but I just want to mention just in case that Peter was wrongfully imprisoned here. You know, he was in prison for preaching the gospel. And if any of us were to face earthly justice for sin and there hadn't been a miscarriage of justice, I wouldn't necessarily expect an angel to prison break you out of there. Okay? I just think we just need to remember that. But you can expect that God will be with you as you repent. You know, we heard um, part of Psalm 51 brought out and there's been a couple of moments in, in worship today when I thought, crikey, that's just what I was going to... It's really encouraging, it's really heartening to feel that you're on the, on the same page as as what's being shared on a Sunday morning. We heard part of Psalm 51 brought uh, by Jen. And as we repent, as we ask him to uh, restore in us a steadfast spirit, we can be sure that he's faithful. He will forgive you. He will restore you. Because he cares for us. Because as, as, as Megan's interpretation of the tongue said, it comes from a place of love. When the angel came to him, he said, get up. He was like, get up, get out of here, we've got to go. He said, put your sandals on. Wrap your cloak around you. God's care, even in the most dramatic situation. He knew that Peter would be leaving in the middle of the night, and he might not be able to see where he was putting his feet and what he might be stepping on. Wrapping his cloak around him to keep him warm. 
rescue, not just functional, but caring rescue. If you're waiting on God, or if you're, even if you're not right now, there will come a time when you're going to be seeking him for that. You can be sure that he will do it wonderfully. And you should expect to see his care, his father heart demonstrated, even through, in this case, one of his mighty servants, an angel. And Peter's reaction is brilliant, isn't it? There comes a moment when he finally comes to himself, and you know what he says? He, he says, now I know that the Lord has rescued me and has delivered me. And he immediately gives credit. And you might argue and say, okay, well, you know, I, maybe it's inescapable. Maybe it's really obvious that it was God. But he's so sure of that in his own mind. And as we're going to see later in the chapter, he says, declare it, tell it to the others. Because there will be other people who will turn around to us and say, oh, yeah, but was that really God You know, in that situation? Or was that coincidence or was that circumstance Peter recognizes that it was God who did it and that's part of the reason why I wanted to do that little recap to situate us at the start of the Acts 5, 6, 7 and so on of different chapters because it's not just about the context and it's not just about recognizing that there's gospel that there's opposition when the gospel advances it's also to show that this rescue is in another league preaching as they'd been healing and raising the dead, empowered by the Spirit, had been them. This is all God. There is no disputing that it was God. Peter could not break those chains himself. He wasn't Hulk. He could not have made his way out of that prison without raising a mighty ruckus. It was God. It was sovereign and wonderful and amazing. And part of the reason why I didn't want us to, to just kind of think of it as the importance of just being earnest is because it's earnest and persistent prayer. We see in verse 12, it says, He made his way to that house where many were gathered together and were praying. They hadn't stopped praying. I'm not saying they were praying just about Peter, but I reckon that will still be in the forefront of their mind. I feel they'd grasp something. And earlier... Uh, in the week just passed, I saw a Twitter quote. You right to load it up, Nick? And it was a quote, it was a, a tweet from somebody in John Groves, a, a theologian, part of our family of churches, New Frontiers, and he was quoting from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Some mercies are not given to us except in answer to importunate prayer. There are blessings which, like ripe fruit, drop into your hand the moment you touch the bough but there are others which require you to shake the tree again and again. I had to check what importunate meant. Persistent to the point of annoyance. (laughs) Keeping going, I know, right? Keeping going and going and going until people are like, yeah, yes, all right, love, yes, I will, I will take the bins out, I will. (laughs) The hinge on the door, yep, no, I'm going to, just... Yeah, just, I will. True life examples. But there's nothing wrong in the asking again and again 
And actually the annoyance is on the point of, of the part of the person listening. But you know what? God's an infinite God, full of grace, full of patience. He can handle us asking again and again and again. It's not he who needs to recognize what is important. It's us. And we've got to realize that we've got to ask sometimes and again and again and again. We've got to shake the tree again and again and again sometimes. Because actually that shows to our hearts that it matters to us. It really matters. I suggest to you that if the church had prayed, uh, yeah, Father, please um, free Peter. Amen. And then walked off and prayed about some other things, some other needs. I would suggest to you that maybe they wouldn't have been that bothered about one of their leaders being rescued and saved from certain death. It's in the asking, the ongoing asking, that it reveals just how important something is to us. Your breakthrough, maybe our breakthrough as a church, just came to mind this morning and thought, you know, we have, we have prayed and we sought God and we had that real season of, of praying for a building. And things have gone a little bit quiet when we, we didn't get it. Now, I'm not saying that we should still be praying about that building. But this is one for us to think about, for all of us to think about. And, and I'll be taking it back to the elders and saying, actually, should we still, we should, this should be more on the forefront of our mind. We should be coming back to God and saying, if we believe that God has a building for us, then we need something to consider. So, the servant girl, Rhoda. Brilliant. Absolutely priceless. Did any of you spot her reaction? Peter's at the door. Rhoda, who is it? Who's at the door? It's P Peter, is that you? Yes, it's me, Rhoda. The Lord's broken me out. Let me in. Peter, it's you. A, she opens the door, lets in her recently imprisoned apostle option B Peter it's you she in her joy she doesn't open the door she runs to tell the others and I'm like, I, just, I just found this funny I was like what in fact regardless of what was going on in her mind we know, we know, she says she recognized Peter's voice. Regardless of what was going on in her mind, it builds the suspense, doesn't it? It, do, it does build the suspense. But it also reveals something about the heart of those people who were just praying so earnestly before. Because they've been seeking God, haven't they? They've shaken the bow again and again. And then when she comes and says, here it is, here's Peter, God's done it, Wow. Probably not wow. I don't know what Aramaic for wow was at the time. But they say, praise the Lord. He has heard our prayers and he has delivered our brother Peter. No. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. They say, you're out of your mind. It's his angel. There's disbelief in their hearts. And that can happen to us, can't it? Sometimes. When you're really praying, 
you're seeking, you're going to the right authority, but then sometimes it reveals something. When we're really stunned that a prayer is answered, were we, how great was our faith in the moment of asking? And I'm not saying that to make anybody feel bad, because I've been in those shoes. I'm like, really? That, that happened? I just want to expect that God's going to answer and he's going to move. It might be a yes, it might be a no. Or it might be something that we couldn't expect, but that he is going to hear and move from heaven. And there's, there's a wonderful sort of mirroring here, isn't it? They've been praying and praying and praying again and again. God, 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 do this, do this. Please release our brother. Free him, free him. Don't know how you're going to do it. Save him. Save his life. And Peter doesn't knock on the door once, does he? Peter continued knocking. <laughs> Peter must have been like, let me in. God's done all the hard stuff. He's got me out of prison between the, uh, between the soldiers, past the guards, through the gate, even thought, you know, to, to get me wrapped and clothed. And you're the ones who aren't letting me in. <laughs> Come on, let me in. Peter is physically kind of acting out the earnest and continual prayer that they had to do. You know, but credit to Rhoda. I, do, I, I don't know what was going on in her, in her mind. Maybe I'll ask her one day in heaven. <laughs> in that moment, it makes us do wonderful things, doesn't it? But credit to her. She was adamant. You know why? Because she knew the voice of the one who was speaking to her. When we know the voice, when we hear the voice of the one we know, what do we do? What will we do? He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I, I love what Rhoda did. I think it's wonderful. Let's go and tell others when we hear his voice. But let's be sure that we open the door of our hearts. Let's receive him. Let's make time for him amongst the busyness of life. Advent is actually a perfect time for this, isn't it? Advent, as we prepare ourselves to celebrate the arrival of Christ into the world. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, when I stand at the door and knock, says Jesus, I will come into him and eat with him and he will be with me. And that him, that's just as easily him or her. Another translation has, if you hear my voice and open the door, we will share a meal together as friends. There's fellowship, there's intimacy, there's closeness to be had when we open the door of our hearts, when we receive, when we allow Jesus in. But I don't know what it is that Jesus is knocking on the door of your hearts about. But you'll know, because you know his voice. You, as, as his sheep, we know his voice. And we can be stubborn and stiff-necked, can't we? But let's not.
because there's such blessing, there's fellowship with him to be enjoyed. We're coming to a close and Peter's response when they do finally recognize that it's Peter, Peter's Peter's response is marvelous. He says, he gives glory to God. He says, tell these things to James and the brothers. Now, if you've had a wonderful breakthrough, we've had some testimonies recently of shared where God has done something wonderful. Treasure in your heart, by all means, like Mary. But then also, if it's right, and if it's going to bless and edify the church, build it up, then share it. You know, I bet that the church in Jerusalem would have grown so much in faith through this terrible ordeal, through their earnest and persistent prayer, through God's miraculous deliverance in response. Because answered prayer raises faith. It fuels thankfulness. It increases expectation. It builds confidence. That's what we need. We need when we're out there on a Monday, on a wet Wednesday evening, when our colleagues are throwing around those snide remarks at times, or when someone asks you that tricky question, we need confidence. Or when you're facing that awkward situation, we need confidence that he is the one who stands by us and answers prayer. Or as a body. But let's be ready to respond. Let's pray together. Let's continue doing so until we see what Heavenly Father does. The final couple of verses, please, 18 to 19. They sound like a footnote, don't they? But if it's in Scripture, we know it must be significant. It's God-breathed, it's useful for us. I just, I do, there's been a couple of moments I've been reading this. I've just found it humorous. I, maybe it's just me. But when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers. You don't say... You don't say. Another translation says uh, there was what's it say? There was no small commotion. The message, rather helpfully, says there was uproar. We can get a bit desensitized, can't it, when we see we see TV programs in which people get beamed here or there or disappeared or in some science fiction or that sort of thing. There was no frame of reference for this sort of thing happening fictional or factual or otherwise, in the world at that time. A man who was chained, gone. And, you know, Herod, we've seen he's sort of disposed to violence, but he's not actually being excessively bloodthirsty here when he orders the soldiers' deaths. He just does that because actually the soldiers in Roman times... If they let a prisoner escape, they would have faced the same punishment as the one that their prisoner was due to face. So, you know, we said before that, well, he was going to hand them over to the people. Well, it's clear that Herod was expecting the people would say, kill him. Because he orders the soldiers to be put to death. And Caesarea, he goes, it's significant too. You know, so he went down from there, from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. He's gone from Jerusalem, where God is moving, doing something amazing. And he, I would suggest, he retreats back to Caesarea. It was the seat of Roman government, probably where he felt more safe and more secure. Yeah, that's what he thinks. It's not 
It's not my privilege to preach on the next few verses, but that's what he thought. He thought he'd be safe there. So just to conclude, we've got this pattern. The gospel is preached. The good news is shared. Opposition comes. Sometimes significant adversity. So the church gather. They pray together and they pray and they continue on praying. And God moves. And the disciples' faith doesn't go on and say, but not only were they amazed, he then says, tell them that they might hear these things because he knows that the church will be strengthened and the enemy is pushed back. I just want to invite in a moment, if we could have the band, if that's okay. Yeah, thank you. If we could have the band. Just going to close in prayer in just a moment. And like I said, I, I don't know the situations that you're facing. But I know that we have a God who hears from heaven and moves. And if it's really bad, well, he can be really good. And he can move obstacles and overcome barriers that no man can. So I want to invite you, if you are singing this song through and you're feeling like there is something I'm facing that I weigh out, if, if you feel like that's you, then I just feel free to come down the front. Be a bit brave. Exercise the faith that you have and demonstrate it. And we'd love to pray with you because he's demonstrated breakthrough in my life more times than I remember. And the final thing I just want to mention is that Jesus said when he was talking about the sheep, he said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. And I don't know your situation, but maybe you feel outside of this flock. Maybe you're visiting today and you feel like I, I don't have a flock of my own. I don't have a place that I would call home. I don't have a family. If that's you, Jesus wants that for you. It's not my desire. It's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to feel a part. He wants you to have a place to belong. And if you'd like to talk that through, if you'd like one of us to pray with you, that'd be fantastic. And however that applies. Maybe you're not sure if you know Jesus. Maybe you're not sure if you've ever really welcomed him into your heart. He'll come and share a meal with you. He will bring his wonderful fellowship with you. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.